0: Hello everyone, I just wanted to have a quick chat with you before I start this podcast. If it's possible, would you please be able to go into the description of this podcast and fill out the survey that's provided there? It literally takes 20 seconds, if that, and it would really help me out. I don't need that many more people to fill it out now, so I'll stop banging on about it soon. But uh, thank you to everyone who has filled it out so far. Also, I've been getting quite a few emails and messages on Twitter about whether i have merchandise or not and the answer is yes i do have merchandise and i've also linked that in the description if you're interested in that um in general i know this podcast has been pretty regular. it's been sometimes once a week sometimes twice a week sometimes once a month sometimes once every 2 weeks so i'm i'm planning on making it a bit more frequent hopefully once a week i've just started uni so it's a bit you know i'm trying to sort my life out a bit at the moment but i'm trying to get back on track so Just know that I'm working on videos, and I'm working on podcasts and narrations, and they'll be out, and I'm trying to improve in those too. So if you have any suggestions, then let me know. I'm most contactable, I don't know if that's a word, but yeah, I'll go with it. Most contactable on Twitter, which is probably the best way to contact me. But also, if you do leave a review on this podcast, I'll 100% read it, so if you do want to make any suggestions, then leave a review if you enjoyed it or if you didn't enjoy it, then just let me know. But if you did enjoy it, if you, if you didn't enjoy it, please don't leave a one star and say how much you hate me. Please maybe just, you know, three star bit of criticism or something that I can, you know, work on because I do want to improve this podcast. But okay, I'm going to stop rambling on. Thanks a lot, guys. And I will see you in the next podcast or YouTube video, whatever you want to watch me on. See ya. This is the story of the time I was the most scared in my entire life. The thing that terrified me is so vague that I'm constantly second guessing whether I have the right to be afraid as I was. But in terms of raw terror I felt in the moment, nothing has ever touched this moment. This is a super long story so I'm sorry. I felt like I needed to get it all out of my head. I've sectioned it so you can get right to the good parts. I grew up in a small, quaint town. Everyone knows everybody. No one locks their doors. My brother and I spent many afternoons over at my aunt's and uncle's house on the other side of town, playing with our cousins and the other kids in that neighbourhood. Next door lived the Morrises, who had a boy, Carl, who was about my brother's age. Carl's cousin, George, was my age and spent a lot of time over at Carl's house, so we all knew each other really well. Carl had a much older brother, Christopher, he was about 10 years older than the group of neighbors friends. Just graduating high school and we were around 10. Christopher, as an aside, would be a let's not meet story on his own, but that's a totally different story. Christopher eventually joined the army, in an attempt to get his life together to be honest. When George and I were seniors in high school, Christopher was killed while deployed in Afghanistan. I felt awful for his family. Even though Chris really put me off and I barely knew him, it was just awful and a tragic thing overall. My town is very Republican and given the circumstances of Chris's death, the outpouring of Greece took on a political charge, as it always does. Carl deeply resented all of this over his brother's death, which made it harder for him to grieve for a brother who had such a complicated and troubled relationship with him. But George reacted... differently. He was on the forefront of the pro-war beatification of Chris and harled a lot of rage, which once again, I get, he's lost a family in a tragic sudden way, but George was over the top. Anyone left of Ronald Reagan, anyone with the slightest misgivings about war, Muslims, and anyone sympathetic to Muslims, was personally responsible for Chris's death. It got intense eventually escalated to the point where he started to make real threats, and the administration suspended him for a week. As time went by, people dealt with their grief, the situation calmed down, the political tension faded, and things returned to normal. But not for George. After graduation, I attended college in a nearby big city and wasn't home very often. So unfortunately, a lot of this is rumors and instance with friends from home who stayed there post high school. My only real personal run-ins are limited to Facebook screens and getting stick-eye from him when I got home and go to a local bar or anything like that. He's apparently learned, after his suspension, to keep his anti-pacifist crusade under wraps, but there's been a pat of vandalism directed at liberals and pacifists. Cars keyed, tires slashed, bumper stickers scraped off. During the first Obama campaign in O.A. Someone went round the town in dark of night and defaced and destroyed every Obama yard sign in a two mile radius. Every single yard sign. No one caught him, but everyone's sure George is behind it. He's so angry, the other angry conservatives think he's a little out of his mind, and many believe he's doing it too. I don't just want to give the impression he's unlegitimated crazy. Shockingly, he's a fairly normal guy. He has a job where he makes good money and is regarded as doing good work, volunteers, had a long-term girlfriend for a while but I think it's no coincidence that she broke it up with him a couple of months before this incident. He's also known for getting angry drunk at a bar and chowing at people, they've had to remove him a couple of times. In the biggest incident, six or seven months before my run-in, George assaulted a guy called Sparky. Christopher had been Sparky's closest friend before he died. Sparky had gone in the opposite direction of George, he was now an outspoken anti-war liberal and had been running his mouth about how Bush had killed his best friend when George decided to beat him into the ground. Cots were called, George was hauled off, but Sparky decided not to press charges. So this is the incident. My hometown's pretty right-leaning, but there's a solid if small liberal or democrat scene too liberal people like to hold these mini rallies in the park on the main street. I call them rallies because they're really politically themed family picnics, not actual rallies. Just like 20 or 30 people in a park with a slogan, t-shirts and signs, sitting around and eating sandwiches whilst playing with their dogs. My husband and I were staying in my parents house this summer while we were prepping to move overseas. I was really wanting to see everyone I could before we left because I didn't know when I'd be back and when hippy dippy neighbor told me that there was a rally at the park that afternoon, I had to go. The rally was great. It was perfect hot weather, mid-July, sunny, just wonderful. I was having to catch up with a high school friend I hadn't seen in years, Melissa, who happens to me that aforementioned Sparky's little sister. she had been doing quite well, got married to a lovely guy, had her first kid. After a while, the baby wants to nurse, so Melissa's situating him. I take a glance around the area, and my eyes land on George. My heart starts thumping and every hair on my neck goes up. I don't even know why. He's just leaning against his car door, parked on the opposite side of the street, maybe 15 feet down, smoking a cigarette and just messing around his phone. But I'm panicking, then I notice it. It's July, not a cloud in the sky, easily 90 degrees in the sun, and he's wearing a long, thick winter jacket. It's just so strange all these people in shorts going for ice cream and he's just for january wind why why is he wearing that jacket and why is it making me want to call 911 immediately after a few minutes of trying to ignore the has going off in my brain i notice that he's glowering in the direction of the protest when he notices me looking he looks back at his phone he finishes his cigarette lights another one and my hands are starting to shake a little and the sounds of friendly chatter around me grow distant I didn't know what to do, but something had to be done. I smiled big and waved out, Hey, George! His head snaps up. I wave and smile again. George, come over! I wave at him again. He gets on his feet, unsure, takes a couple of steps in my direction, hesitates, and then he slowly walks over to me. Um, hey, how have you been? It's been so long. I feel worried that my fake friendliness is too exaggerated. Um, yeah, good, he said. So here you got this really good new gig. How's that? Good. We continue like this. I'm putting my best friendly smile on. I'm pulling out my best small talk. The weather, my move, local news, his job, childhood good times. I cross my arms over my chest so he won't notice that my hands are shaking. He answers in grunts and monosyllables. He seemed crazy nervous, shifting foot to foot. His eyes keep darting to his car to the people around him and back. He keeps, it was just like this creepiest, most horrifying part of unconsciously touching his chest, like he's trying to make sure something was still there. At one point, I went to hug him and he pulled back so fast you'd think I was covered in crap. After about five minutes, but what seemed like an hour, he blurts out abruptly, got a run, bye. It was the most syllables he's uttered the entire conversation. He turns, speeds walks to his car, jumps inside and speeds away. I sigh with relief and turn back to Melissa, who's finishing up nursing. I ask if she saw that and if she was as freaked out about it as I was. She says she was, so I asked to talk to her privately about it. She hands off the baby to her husband and we go to a quiet corner of the park. I start rambling about the story, just to get them out of my head and get a little bit of validation from someone else. Was he really that creepy in the coat? Should I be as alarmed and as terrified as I was? As soon as I mentioned him touching something inside his jacket, she sits down on the ground and starts to burst into tears. Through her sobs, part relief, part panic, I think she tells me that last night, her brother Sparky had received a phone call from George out of nowhere. They obviously hadn't been very friendly for a while, George had seemed hurried and a little frantic, clearly had something on his mind. But all he had told Sparky was that under no circumstances should he go to the rally the next day and that he should tell Melissa to stay away too. He wouldn't explain and hung up. Sparky decided not to go, but Melissa thought it was just George being George and went away. Both Melissa and I went home straight after that. What the hell, guys. I know George owns a gun or two. Hunting and shooting is a pretty popular hobby where I'm from, and it's pretty common to own a gun and know how to use it. Did I fall on mass shooting attempts? What happened here? It just could be, couldn't it? I just don't know that I've ever felt like I was in more danger in my entire life. I have not heard anything from or about George since then. This happened when I was around the age of 14, so roughly 2004. I was brought up in a poor neighborhood. So poor, we put pieces of cut wood in our window so it wouldn't be broken into. There were a lot of break-ins in around my area. Anyway, this one night, about a week before Christmas, my grandmother and mother went to bingo. I was left watching my two younger sisters who were 11 and 10 at the time. They fell asleep on the sofa watching TV, and I was on the computer. Probably on the MSN or Haber Hotel. It was late, I would say after midnight. My mother and mum went gambling after and I heard a weird sound coming from outside the living room window. I ignored it, but a couple of minutes later, I heard it again. I moved the curtain and looked out the window, and a person was standing there with a crowbar trying to break into my house. This one particular night, we didn't have the wood in the window, which I realised afterwards. I went and immediately dialed 911, and I was on the phone for no longer than two minutes when my grandma and my mum came home. The police came, dusted for fingerprints, checked the boot prints, but didn't find anything. Another thing I realised is my window in the living room wasn't even locked. They could have easily pushed the window and came right in. So, to the scary masked person from 2004, let's never meet again. So, I started reading the post here, and I realised that my story would fit in really well, so here it goes. I'm a 27 year old woman, and this happened to me 9 or 10 years ago, when I was a senior in high school. We lived in a pretty large house, but my siblings were all away at college or boarding school, so it was only my parents and I in the house. I'm a crazy light sleeper, so when I woke up in the dark and saw my alarm clock flashing at 3.11am, I wasn't too surprised. However, I was wide awake, not just groggily staring in my sleep. I lay there, wondering what had woken me, when I heard very soft footsteps on the stairs outside of my bedroom. The door to my room was parallel to the left side of my bed, and I happened to be lame with my back to the door. When the footsteps approached my door, I thought it must be one of my parents checking on me for some reason. Then the doorknob was turned, so, so slowly. Still, I thought they were just trying to not wake me. The door began to open again, slowly and carefully. It made a creaking noise, no matter how slowly it was opened. So the person finally just shoved it the rest of the way to silence the creak. Still, my naive brain thought it was just one of my parents, until they clicked on a flashlight. I froze, terror flooded me, and I remember that I instantly broke out in sweat. They were behind me, and I was facing away, so they couldn't see my eyes were wide open as they shone a beam straight on me. I always used to think if anything like that ever happened I'd be such a badass and I would whip out of bed and punch them, attack them, shout and scream, do something, but I couldn't do anything at all. All I could do was try and keep my mouth breathing deep and even despite the pounding of my heart so that the intruder wouldn't know I was awake. After about 10 seconds they finally moved the light away. I prayed and begged and bartered with anything that would listen to me as the intruder walked around my room looking at my things. I could vaguely see their shape, large and bulky, like they were wearing two coats, had a baseball cap on. They didn't shine the flashlight on me again and after a few minutes, which felt like an eternity, they left my room. I could still hear them though, walking around the rest of the second floor through my siblings empty bedrooms. I was still sweating, still frozen in terror, not knowing what to do. I wanted to grab my phone and call my dad, sleeping downstairs. I wanted to call a landline so the phone would ring and wake my parents up. I wanted to call the police. I wanted to get up and run from my room. I wanted to cry but I couldn't do any of those things. I was afraid that they would hear me and I didn't know if they had a weapon and would try and hurt me or my parents. I wouldn't wish such helpless terror on my worst enemy. I don't know how, but I must have passed out from fear or the adrenaline wore off and I fell asleep somehow because the next thing I knew it was 6 a.m. I could hear my parents downstairs. I ran downstairs as calm as I could. I asked if one of them had been in my room last night Their faces went blank, and they said no, they hadn't. That was the last straw. I broke down in sobs and told them. Then there was someone in my room last night. Even as I typed this, my hands had begun shaking as I've teared up. The police were called, even though there was little they could do at that point. Apparently, when my parents woke up, all of the doors to the outside were standing wide open, and there was a little duffel bag at the bottom of the stairs. All that was inside was a coil of nylon rope and an empty USB flash drive. I don't want to think about what it was there for, the intruder hadn't taken anything, and we have no idea why they left what appeared to be in a hurry. It took me about a week to be able to sleep in my room again, a sanctuary which felt violated and threatened to me now. I carry pepper spray, sleep with a machete next to my bed, and double check my locks every night. Hopefully this will never ever happen again, but if it does, hopefully I won't freeze. It's been 10 years now and my most common nightmare is that someone's in my room, standing in the shadows, watching me.